This is CliffCentral.com. So increasingly, humanity finds itself drowning in information. We are choking in a deluge of data. We are increasingly suffering from bandwidth anxiety between our Twitter feeds and Instagram feeds and Facebook feeds. Most people talk about the fact that now we live in the attention economy. Attention is the new limited resource. Attention is the new oil. If you don't have ADD today, you're not paying attention. This is the question on everybody's minds. How do we curate what we pay attention to? How do we push aside the noise and focus on what's important? Stuart Brand used to say, science is the only news. The rest is the same he says and she says that you see in the media. And so if I were to be talking to entrepreneurs, if I was talking to heads of companies, I would tell them, pay attention to exponentials. Pay attention to disruptive technologies. Pay attention to the progress in artificial intelligence, biotechnology, nanotechnology, right? The big three, GNR, genetics, nanotechnology, and robotics. These are the forces that are upending the world. These are the new trillion dollar industries that are going to emerge out of no place. Think exponentially, pay attention to disruptive technology. Jason Silver, uh, don't you love the way that that guy just kicks off a show? It's so good to have everybody here, but uh, that guy was the host of hostesses. He, 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 <laughs> <laughs> the host of hostesses. The hostess with mostess. He, he wasn't even a Jerusal bunny. He, but you know what? He, he, high energy, high intellect. Um, he just brought it all together. Fantastic host of the he show. He did a great job the whole way through. I mean, he ran Absolutely. the panel discussions. He had all of, the, he had to deal with all of those personalities and brains and thought leaders all in one space and he Absolutely. did a great job keeping together the one thing that i like about jason is that he's been described as a modern performance philosopher so i'll definitely uh, play that. I'll just so relate. we're gonna play him every My- single show we'll get him to kick off our show how about is that it, boom, boom. A, a great mood setter he's a great mood setter i love yes. it shall we press play for jason silver mood <laughs> i'm so damn excited it's like Singularity University is Christmas tenfold over in my world. <laughs> Chaps, uh, so in studio with me, my name's Brett Sinclair, the digital disruptor squirrel rocker, is Michael Cowan. How are you doing, pal? I'm fine, thank you, Brett. So and, good to be here. And with us, yes, Brett Lindsay. How are no. you? Oh, hey, yeah, good. All three of us in studio again. Again. It's <sighs> been a long time, eh? Yeah, it's been quite the a while. The unicorns are out and the pigs are flying <laughs> and the moon is blue and hell's frozen over and we're all here together. Yay! <laughs> we are. But it's good because well, you know what? It's we, all about singularity. It is. It is all about we were doing field work before. Boom. So now we've come out of the field and back into the studio. It's really cool. I love hanging out with you guys. I love it too. It is awesome. So we're on episode two. I mean, last week's show with old Shane, Shane Mann. Man. What, a, what a legend. I'm, I'm sorry you missed that. You were yeah, in London, is, right? Yeah. I was in Amsterdam. Oh, Amsterdam. Yes. yes, yes. How was it? It was Amsterdam-y. <laughs> what goes on in Amsterdam stays in yeah. Amsterdam, right? True story. But, but it's cool because you met uh, Christian. I met up with Christian Absolutely. Kromer, correct? Uh, the author of Humanification and uh, all-round amazing human being. And after the Singularity series, we're going to have Christian on? True story, yeah. Beautiful. We've got, we've got some sort of uh, little teaser fillers that we'll be throwing through LinkedIn and uh, all the things leading up to that, uh, that interview. But uh, it's going to be a great, great chat. Definitely cool. an exciting guy to, to meet. So, so, 
yeah, the format for today. Yes. We're going to start sharing this amazing content. So we're going to have a little chat about each of the little episodes, give you guys an idea of what we, we what we actually experienced, and then we'll go into the actual interview itself. So we've got four lined up today, hey, Brett? Yeah, we've got four, and uh, this is really about day one. And yes. I remember sitting in there, and we arrived, we set up studios, really excited, went and watched our first show with David Roberts. It and felt he, like a show, hey? It was a show. I mean, I felt <laughs> like I was going to Disneyland, and it was just amazing show. Um, and, and what we did is we watched each of the shows and then we got to interview yes. each of the guest speakers after each of those sessions. So now it varies. Some of them were about 20 minutes. A lot of them were about four or five minutes. Um, but guys, what you saw in the show, if you were there versus what we got to speak to the guys about was mind blowing. If yeah. you were not there, it was, this is. Your entry point to Singularity to Singularity University, Absolutely. and we will see you guys there next year in October because oh, sure. you will be busting to buy a ticket. Yeah. Cool. So let's get straight into it. And I guess the very first one we're going to deal with, and uh, I wasn't here in the morning session, so I'd like to just talk to you guys about it. Was yes. Vivian Meng? <gasps> Boom! Mm. Geez, she was amazing. She was dynamite. She just was just alive. I mean, this AI woman. neural net neural links. Yes. She knew everything about everything and all the things that haven't yet been thought of. Wow. It was incredible. So, so when they say, like, you only know what you don't know. She knows it. That she knows it, right? Yeah. Guys, let's not waste any time. Straight into, Vi- straight, straight into Vivian into. Ming because she, she was, for me, the highlight of, of, of the entire show. For sure. Vivian Ming. Here we go. Take it away. Hi there, and uh, welcome to the next clip on the uh, Futurology show here at uh, the Singularity University. We're having a lot of fun. Yeah. And and I'm really excited. We've got Vivian Ming in with us. And what a fantastic presentation, Vivian. Absolutely inspiring. Thank you so much. And I love what you stand for. I really do, because I think the intersection of technology and people is often overlooked. And, and we don't look at people often enough, but I'm jumping ahead of myself here. But perhaps you can just give us a bit of an introduction to who you are. Absolutely. So I started my professional life as a theoretical neuroscientist, most recently at UC Berkeley. Um, That is essentially where lazy neuroscientists go. When (laughs) when I discovered I could be a neuroscientist without, without actually sticking wires in brains, I thought that is the research for me. Um, but so we researched machine learning to better understand yeah. the brain and we studied the brain to come up with better machine learning. And about 10 years ago, with all of that in my head, I thought, why don't I start a company? Uh, yeah. so I started my first, uh, tech company in education and then it just got out of hand. I think I'm on number seven now. Ooh. Um, yeah. uh, but it's really, it's, I hate running companies, but the impact you can yes, have on the world absolutely. through a startup that becomes something yeah. substantial. You, you influence things in a way that frankly you never get the chance yeah. to. Like five absolutely. people in the world understand my research. Wow. Um, but everybody understands the Wired articles about my companies yeah. uh, or the New York Times article about a previous company. And that that really changes how people think. For sure. Does each company have a specific focus? So, you know, my generic focus mm. is quite literally how do we build better people? Brilliant. Yeah. And uh, in academia, this got started with what's called neuroprosthetics or in my personal yeah. interest, cognitive neuroprosthetics. So can I literally stick things in your brain and make you smarter? 
Uh, and the answer is yes, if you yes. survive the surgery. Um, <laughs> yes. Taking volunteers. Um, <laughs> are, you, are you game, Brett? No. I mean, you do Not, need a little bit of help no. there every now and then. No. Bit, yeah. no. <laughs> okay. Um, and then uh, we started thinking about, well, you know, it's going to be yeah. decades before those sorts of technologies mature, yeah. uh, although it's come, starting to come yeah. a lot faster than we expected. Uh, so I started founding these companies, and they're in education. Yeah. They're in HR tech, so how do we yeah. improve hiring? How do we take bias out of hiring? Yeah. Um, how do we improve on-the-job training? Yes. Um, I have companies in applied neuroscience uh, to help uh, avocal kids yeah. actually interact in schools or help teams perform better. It's, it's anything and everything yes. having to do with people and What's interesting is once I got started, both mm. not just the companies but the research side also, yeah. once I got started, I realized it's everything. Yeah, it, is it is all the way from how neurons interact yeah, with silicon yep. through how whole economic regions uh, can drive their development. Absolutely. And everything in between, including some little five-year-old girl and what she could do to change Absolutely. her life outcomes. Yeah. Everything's connected in a meaningful way. There's nothing not connected to anything else. It's a big multi-scale world. Yeah. It's complex, but I think the complexity is phenomenal. I think it is yeah. amazing to dive deep in it and yeah. do your best to make a positive change. That 100%. is amazing. And, and your presentation was around AI? So I was nominally, I, I get invited all around the world to talk about AI, and I certainly do it, yeah. um, but it's secretly I'm talking about people. Okay. I think all of the interesting AI in the world are not the ad targeting systems uh, uh, yes. or, you know, I think it's really about how do we combine the best of what machines can do yes. with the best of what people can do. So how would you define AI? So artificial intelligence classically described uh, are systems that can make independent decisions yes. out in the world. They can adapt to their environment and 100%. adjust. So in some sense, a self-driving car is a perfect example yes. of an AI. It can stop with unexpected intrusions. Uh, it can make the turns at the right time. It adapts to its world. Yeah. We're probably not actually there with self-driving cars yet. Yeah, um, but that's the dream. But that is the dream. Um, so a little easier in the pure AI world where it's not embodied. Uh, so the kind of work that I do, they're yes. still closed-loop systems. You yeah. can actually still think of them as robots. So, for example, the system we built to help improve kids' life outcomes is a closed loop. But instead of... Turning to the left or to the right, yeah, it recommends things for parents to do with their kids. Okay, okay. Uh, and so the closed loop is we learn about the kids yeah. by having deep AIs that can analyze their artwork, their speech yes. patterns, learn about that child, um, and then we close the loop by then creating an experience for that child to have. Then we measure whether yes. it actually changed them, Absolutely. and we keep going. Absolutely. You don't think of that as a robot. No, you don't. But um, the nice thing is it doesn't run people over when it makes a mistake. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, Elon Musk has had some pretty good publicity around AI and what his thoughts are around it and whether it's a good or a bad thing. Um, how are you on the utopian, dystopian view of the future around AI? So, I, you know, my position is as complex as I was getting at earlier. Now, I, I, I almost completely disagree with Elon. Um, there are two kinds of AI that I think he particularly harps on. One is autonomous weapons. Yes. I understand where he's coming yeah. from there. Um, I 
I don't think uh, that his warning, warnings are going to change what the U.S. military or China but or anyone else does. Do, yeah. um, so in a sense, he's calling out for a change in behavior that is not going to happen. But the other side, and this is what I think really captures people's imagination, yes. is he's talking about what's called artificial general intelligence. So this yes. moment when the first AI wakes up and has an opinion about the world and it's self-aware and, you know, it decides that we're in the way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and really that's where he's leveraging. Yeah. I, I think that's where he's gaining a lot of people's attention is this idea. And I, it is so wildly overblown. Yeah. There is no such artificial and general intelligence in the world today. Um, we don't know how to build it. Mm-hmm. I okay. I genuinely believe that it can happen someday, and yeah. and I, I personally have thoughts about how we might get there. But the current models, deep neural networks, yes. that sort of thing, they're no, never going to there. suddenly Maybe. wake up some morning. And let's take, for example, the, the famous uh, Facebook chatbots yes. that went language. rogue yeah. and you know needed to be turned off to save the universe <laughs> that is another example of things going totally off the rails um, the vast majority of neural networks that have ever been trained mm. have ended up with a bullet in the back of the head in a landfill somewhere yeah. because they are incredibly hard to train they don't do what you want them to yeah, in, in terms of that, though, because you gave the example of Go, so that would be a comparison to, to what you're talking about. So in the course of building uh, the AlphaGo system, yes. uh, that team went through innumerable different what are called yeah. architectures, yes. so different structures of how the AI can approach the road, different training sets, For sure. uh, different ways, what are called metaparameters. It yeah. all gets very technical very <laughs> yes, quickly, but the vast majority of those didn't work. Yeah. And so all of those got thrown away. Those two chatbots from Facebook, uh, it's a very standard technique nowadays. Yeah. You need that, an incredible amount of data to train a yes. deep neural network. So how about you have AlphaGo played itself in Go? That's how it learned okay. how to play. Um, it's called adversarial training. Okay. Um, and it works. Yeah. It genuinely works. But it is incredibly difficult to do right. And in the yeah. most times, the adversaries come up with some solution that isn't what you wanted them to do. For sure. In this case, the solution was don't speak regular English. <laughs> uh, uh, and it was a okay. chatbot for people to talk to. Yeah. So if it didn't speak English, then it isn't useful for anything. No, so they shut 100%. it down. Yeah. Okay. It was modestly interesting that they started coming up with their own language. That actually had some sort of cause and effect on uh, it. Yeah, but you know, essentially you had two learning systems that were talking to each other. It's not that surprising yeah. that the language began to evolve and shift. It was never self-aware. Yeah. Uh, AlphaGo does not understand Go. Those Facebook chatbots do not understand language. Yeah. There's a very narrow focus in them. Yeah. Okay. There was a, uh, a thought or a, a, somebody made this comment that uh, AI is probably the last invention of humankind. <laughs> do you buy into something like that? Um, you know, it's obviously what they're getting at is there will be this moment – when AIs start building AIs. Yes, the machine that builds the machine. Uh, and yeah. because those subsequent AIs will be even smarter, 
then you end up with uh, an inevitable explosion of intelligence. Uh, that's actually a pretty rational position. It's hard yeah. to avoid. And yeah. I have some friends that build AIs that build AIs. Uh, this is a field of research. Yeah. What they do uh, that probably the most effective right now are what are called uh, genetic algorithms that yeah. test different architectures. Wow. Uh, and learn different metaparameters. Again, the technical details here could really bog things down, but yeah. uh, these are incredibly challenging spaces for the human researchers to understand. The AIs can figure it out just like that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And that's, that's an amazing advance in the field. Still doesn't mean, though, that the AIs that they're building are verging on self-awareness. Yeah. But they are getting better and better and better at what they do. So uh, even though we're at a Singularity University conference, we're not any closer to a singularity of sorts. So I had the very interesting experience of actually debating um, uh, one of the co-founders of uh, Singularity University. Uh, the the author of A Singularity is New on stage, yeah. Ray Kurzweil. Yeah. And he and I, needless to say, have different feelings about this. Um, I, I have no idea if the singularity is near. Because the invention we need to make to make it happen, ha- we haven't invented that invented. yet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think we need a whole new class of AI mm. before this is a reality. What this is based on is this idea, if we just jam more information, yes. if we can get the, an existing AI to read more newspapers, if we can add more parameters, make it bigger and bigger and bigger, at some point it will wake up and it will prefer Hemingway over Degas, I don't know, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. And we're not there. Yeah. Uh, none, there's no reason to believe that that will actually emerge. No, absolutely. And, and it's a bit of a beyond the scope of what you presented was the AI versus consciousness. Um, uh, do you have any views on this? Because I'm fascinated to hear your answer. This. I'm so, a, a you know, what's here. interesting, I'm certainly not unique in the world, but I am one of those rare people that studies natural intelligence yes. and artificial yes. intelligence. And I am not, I'm not even clear in the natural intelligence yes. side what consciousness means. Yes. Um, awareness is easier to define. It is. It, is. Uh, it has some clear... Uh, real phenomenology to it that yeah. we can kind of measure when you're aware of something. It actually changes your performance in certain tasks. We can measure neural correlates of awareness. Yeah. Consciousness. There are people that study this. Um, yes, there are. I, and I've been at some conferences about this. I'm saying it all with a little bit of a smirk in my <laughs> mouth because I have never found a lot of um, useful models coming out of this space. Um, you know, trying to yeah. mathematically define what consciousness is. It's like defining the universe. I, it, yeah, it, yeah. it feels a bit odd to me. So um, what I would say is to the degree to which it is a thing, if we had true artificial intelligence, artificial general intelligence... It seems entirely reasonable to me to think that it would be conscious in in the way that we are. But that doesn't mean that it's intelligent in the way that we are. Yes. Or creative, maybe, in the way that we are. Yeah. Now, imagine um, the following scenario. You you may not remember this, um, but like six or some odd years ago, there was this paper in PNAS, uh, and the authors of the paper argued strongly, and they had a lot of data yeah. to back it up. It was, I was skeptical, but they had a lot of data, 
that uh, there's this famous aspen grove, uh, shaking aspens in mm-hmm. Utah. It's the largest yes. uh, and the largest living thing in the world because the the whole all their their root system networks underneath the ground. It's it's this yes. massive like one forest, this organism, one yes. big organism, and they argued strongly yes. that it was intelligent. And I, that I remember this. I do remember this. Yes. So they are strongly, and, and information is passed through right. the system. And uh, now here's the thing: How would you know that yeah. th- their statement is that this operates yeah. on timescales that are so long that you'd never? Uh, you're right. I'm totally bullshitting you. No, it's just like does a bear shit in the woods? It is that sort of situation. So this the the point is. It is entirely possible and plausible that there are intelligences in the world that it coexist with ours that we yeah, would never understand and we would never interact so with. Yeah. Yes. So once you under and, and the nature of embodied, yeah. right? Uh, an aspen grove doesn't yeah. have a face. It doesn't express emotions. No. It doesn't have eyes. What do you, there's nothing to talk to. Yes. Even if it was intelligent in some genuine sense in the way that we are. What would that even mean? Yeah. So now take this into the world of artificial intelligence. What if I built an entire, not just an artificial, a self-driving car, but a whole true AI transportation network that covered all of Johannesburg? Um, And it would just know that you're on the sidewalk. Exactly. There's no stoplights. There's no traffic. All of the cars are where they need to be at the right time, in the right moment, it's amazing. It's like magic. Yeah. Even though it's intelligent like we are, why would it talk to us and why would we talk to it? Yeah. It's operating Absolutely. in a completely different space than we yeah. are. Yeah, totally different space. So, um, so I'm, this is not – this is what true AI will be. Yeah. But I think we have to be prepared for the fact that even if it emerges, that – it's, you know, it's not going to be a gold android yeah. with its kind of uh, <laughs> slightly effeminate uh, and is always warning Master Luke about what he's doing. That, in fact, it might be something whose cognition is embodied in such an alien way that yeah. we simply coexist. Uh, and in that sense, why would it care what we're doing? Yeah. As long as – if it's a transportation network, as long as we're getting shuttled around efficiently – so why, do, why do we care? It's a win-win. Yeah. It's a win-win. Yeah. So, uh, you know, in some ways, I, th- I think the whole question about um, fears around AI, uh, listen, I do understand it, right? If we get superseded profoundly yeah. by AIs, there's no coming back from that. Mm. Same thing is true, by the way, of the cognitive neuroprosthetics. Uh, if I can go in and build people, Literally, that are literally an order people. of literally build people that are an order of magnitude smarter than the rest of us. You know, if they Why look do at they us, need us exactly. I think you look at a profound divide in human society, and those oh. are changes that I actually think. You know, I can see the time yeah. course of those yeah, happening. Absolutely, Vivian Ming. Unfortunately, we can't have much more time with you today. We thank you for your time today yes. on the Futurology Show, and we very much look forward to chatting to you again in the future. This is great. I've got to come back. I would love that. Wow, that was amazing. Wow. No, guys, now I'm jealous. 
I'm so sorry you guys got to meet with her and I didn't. I'm, I'm, ugh, my mind's broken. No, totally. That, it, it was an amazing, amazing clip. So, but, but you know what? Who's next? Okay, so next up is my personal favorite. And I'll tell you why he's my personal favorite. Because yeah. he got onto oh, stage. Oh, no, it's another man crush. And <laughs> another man crush. I'm running out of wall space. I'm going to have to get a better room. <laughs> You're going to have to buy a bigger house. <laughs> I literally have this image of all these stuffed heads on your wall. It's kind of freaky. Yeah, totally. totally. <laughs> but he's worthy of, he's worthy of the wall. He's David worthy. Robbs. David he, Roberts. He Dave Robbs. Dave, Dave Robbs. Uh, so you're that intimate with David Roberts. Uh, D Rob. D Rob. Yeah, Dave. <laughs> Uh, if, if you're listening to the show, thank you. That was yeah. just mind-blowing. It was uh, mind-blowing. I mean, when he stood up and said, you know what, the only job that's not going to be disrupted is a digital disruptor consultant. Boom. Yeah. I know uh, what I want to be in the future. Uh, absolutely. But you know, you know what was amazing about David's presentation? I mean, he had a beautiful flow to his presentation. But the, the key outcome for me was the fact that we can actually truly see disruption because we've got the ability to view the bigger picture. We're able to look historically yeah. back and, and what, what, what's coming forward. So David was, it was a very powerful talker for yeah. me. And again, we didn't have a lot of time with David, but if you do want to catch up on the videos, if you did attend, you will have access to some of those yeah. talks. I think yeah. his is one of them that's on there, yeah, but if he's not, so. he's agreed that he will be on the show with us in he the did. future, which is wild. And where you can find it is on the Singularity University Facebook page. Yes. That's they right. put them all there. So that's right. easy to find. Um, and share away, guys. So let's get into it. Uh, guys, I'm so jealous. Enjoy David Roberts. Hi there. And uh, in the next clip here, we're chatting to David Roberts, uh, who is from Singularity University. Um, David, welcome. Uh, and do you want to just give a very quick introduction to who you are? Oh, sure. Uh, so I uh, used to run the Global Solutions Program at Singularity University. It's a a summer program that we put on where we bring in about a hundred uh, really brilliant students from around yeah. the world and teach them uh, about some of the hardest problems in the world and then how to create a company or an organization that can impact a billion people in 10 years. In 10 years. That's fantastic. And one of the points that, that you did make in, in, in your presentation, which was absolutely brilliant, thank you, it, it was a very inspiring uh, bit of time that, that, that we shared there, um, was the idea that disruption is elusive. Yeah. Um, and you, you made the most uh, um, relevant point that we, we can now see what disruption is because in yeah. the past it was happening too slowly that we couldn't actually understand it yeah. for disruption. Do you, do you want to just talk to the idea of what disruption actually is? Yeah. So our understanding of disruption started probably just 20 or 30 years ago when uh, a Harvard Business School professor by the name of Clayton Christensen came up yes. with a theory yes. about it. And what we sort of know now is that the theory is not inaccurate, but we believe that it is not complete, that there's actually multiple uh, kinds of disruption. Yeah. Each of them are their own theory. The theory that he came up with was one that very much explained the kinds of disruption that we saw in the last sort of 30 years, yes. which was you know, the junky Japanese car arriving into the market, right? that the disruptive thing was worse than the incumbent technology. And because it was worse, if you were the big incumbent company, you didn't want to produce a worse product to compete with it. Yeah. Because it would get sold for less money, it got sold to customers you didn't want, um, and you made less margin. So why would you ever do that? A you repu wouldn't. reputation before reward type yeah. of deal. So you know, if you were Ford or General Motors, you would just ignore it. But because they ignored it, it would allow that thing to succeed over time. Yeah. And eventually, it got as good as the other thing, but it typically had other properties that the other thing couldn't have. 
And that was the traditional, I think, classical, we call it the classical, I call it a low-end disruption. But now I think we know that there are other kinds. I'll give you an example of one. Um, when Tesla arrived, Tesla was not a worse car. No. In fact, when it came out, it scored 103 on Consumer Reports out of a score uh, from zero to 100. Wow. So it was actually like a better car. Yeah. Uh, and so it didn't match this model that we had of disruption. Yeah. And they didn't try and make a better car. You know, when the Tesla Model S came out, $80,000 car, Elon didn't try and then make a better car that was more expensive. He actually tried to make a worse car that was less expensive, that <laughs> yes. more people could afford. Yeah. And that's a very different kind of a disruption. And the reason people didn't respond to that kind of disruption wasn't because they didn't want to make a junkier car, but because they just didn't believe that this better car was going to succeed. Yeah. It was almost like an arrogance. Yeah. Um, but again, they ignored it. And so you see the ignoring thing, just so it was a different reason. And, and so now we call that a premium disruption. And people thought, oh, well, that's a new kind of a disruption. But it's not. If you look back, I mean, when Starbucks first made coffee, it wasn't yeah. a worse cup of coffee that got better over time. It was a better cup. It's just no one believed anyone wanted to pay, you know, $7 for a cup of coffee. Absolutely. And, and so these premium disruptions, and now, you know, there's like four other ones, I think, that that we believe are really significant types of disruption. And it just means there's going to be a lot more disruption in the world. And you've got a couple of points that uh, you use to sort of identify these areas of, uh, that are ripe for disruption. Yeah. Uh, you've mentioned four of them on stage, but you say there's even a fifth one that we can maybe bring out in the show today? Yeah, absolutely. And the fifth one, you just didn't see it, I think, a few hundred years ago because there wasn't a lot of it. And it's basically yeah. waste. Right? Yeah. Like when you buy a car... Your car sits there, you know, 97% of the time. I mean, it's just doing nothing. Yeah, for sure. And so now you're seeing companies taking advantage of that waste. Mm. You know, when you have an extra room in your house that you're not using. Airbnb? You know, Airbnb can make use of that waste. Yeah. And so um, you didn't see a lot of it a few hundred years ago. And there certainly wasn't a way to cost effectively take advantage of it. Yeah. You know, because of things like the internet, we can... And the other four... The, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, the connected society is allowing for a lot of these things to start being used more readily. But the, the four other things that we mentioned in the areas that are ripe for disruption? Yeah. Well, the important one, I think, is the redundant intermediaries, right? Whenever you see people doing the same thing over and over... I mean, we were talking about the spice trade. Yeah. And, you know, every time the spice is moved, somebody had to make their money, their margin off of it, right? And so by the time the spice is finally got from the east to the, um, from the far east at least to Europe, they were so yeah. expensive yeah. that it was just crazy. Yeah. Uh, and so you see these things starting to get repeated. Complex experiences is another one. Yeah. Um, I mean, whenever you've got. So you're thinking, I'm thinking banking straight away. The, how to actually transact and do things these days, it just becomes how. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so, but but I think these will change. I think it's a mistake to look at these and say, well, these are permanent. These yeah. these are going to be the things because really, what disruption does is it allows a breakthrough to happen um, that provides a better value yes. to the end user, and they are going to be more than just five ways. Uh, they're really, they're, I think within the next few years, we will add at least four or five other ones. I'm sure. That and, and, and it seems that this is more of a science than just a, a, a typical buzzword. You know, disruption and, and exponential growth, there's a lot more to it than we generally understand when we're sitting in our day-to-day -day job. Yeah. How, how do we actually go about understanding if we are being disrupted? 
Because, I mean, yeah. it's, it's going to sneak up on you, and, and it may not be your direct competition. Yeah. may not even be in your vertical. It's going yeah. to come from a left field because your idea of the spice, you, yeah. you linked it from the spice trade to drone delivery. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's, it's a huge... It's a huge challenge. It is. And um, there's a real difference between innovation and disruption. Yeah. Um, and we've used that word, disruptive innovation. I think, it, I think it's deceptive and we should stop using those words together. Yes, I agree with you. Innovation is making existing things better. One, two, three, four. You know, you take an existing product, you make it a little better. R&D departments. Yep. Big companies are really good at that. Yep. But then you can just do new things. Yeah. That aren't like old things. But disruption is when you do new things that replace old things. Yeah. Mm. And when you start to do that in your company, when you start having one part of your company trying to replace another part of your company, that doesn't work well. A hundred percent. In fact, often companies will give the disruptive idea to their R&D department. Yeah. And then people don't want to talk to the R&D department. Yeah. And so then <laughs> the, the innovation starts failing too now. Yeah. Right? And, like, and so if you do disruption, it's got to be... There are actually ways to do it successfully yes. in companies, but most big companies or even medium-sized companies have not learned to do that. 100%. And absolutely. so it's left to startups. It is left to startups. I think uh, we've only got a short time with you uh, today, but we'd love to have you back on the show in the future. Um, but before you leave, just throw forward for us, where do you think the world's mm-hmm. going in the next, I don't want to say three to five, that's every other guest we have, but for you maybe like let's talk the next five to ten to thirteen when we get to that Time magazine where the singularity is a thing and we're living yeah. forever. Yeah. I think the right way to think about that is actually not to look at the past. Okay. Yeah. Um, See, I keep telling you, it's not linear. It's very strange. I mean, in the last sort of 20 years, we got the internet and we got the smartphone. Yeah. I mean, and those, thing, those two things changed everything for us. They did. Yeah. yeah. In the next 20 years, we're not going to get two things. We're going to get like five or ten or twenty things. That changed our lives. We're going to get AI. We're going to get robotics. We're going to get, you know, digital biology. We're going to get, I mean, even the things that aren't really things like gamification or crowdsourcing or crowdfunding. Those are layers on top. I mean, the blockchain wasn't like a thing. It was just enabled by these other things. And all of those things combined are going to change our world in a really almost incomprehensible way. So just be prepared for it. And, and embrace it. Embrace the change. Yeah, yeah. You can, you can depend on one thing, and that is that the change will keep accelerating. And the yeah. minute you've accepted that, you stop living in fear and you start living opportunistically. Brilliant. And you get excited about the future. Brilliant. Brilliant. I think we share that vision as well. Yeah. We get very excited about what the future is yeah. going to bring. I sense that. Good. Thanks so much for your time. Oh, my pleasure. And, Thank uh, you, yeah, enjoy the rest of Singularity. Thank you very much. Excellent. Awesome. Thank yes. you. Oh. I was just about to say, boom, you, you beat me, me to it. You see why? He is so amazing. Guys. But isn't it cool? Isn't All it? these people are in one place. Well, <sighs> it was fun. It was fun. We were, we were very privileged. We were privileged. I mean, I find it amazing that a spice is actually a disruptor, and ice is a disruptor, and manufactured ice is a disruptor, and so on and so on. Right? And the rate of that disruption is the thing that's allowed us to really pay attention to it. Now. Yeah, that's uh, what exactly. I thought was amazing. Like, there's always been disruption. Yes. It's just it took decades or millennia to sometimes or not millennia but maybe centuries Mm. to to get through to a point where the disruption was actually realized well i guess the millennia 
did apply when it was na- nature disrupting. I suppose, yeah. <laughs> well, so, right. Sapiens and all that kind sapiens of talks. Sapiens yeah. and all that kind and of stuff. Natural disruptors. Uh, uh, absolutely. But it's a speed of change, a uh, speed of disruption that's really yeah. the challenge. Yeah. It's not change itself today. It's the speed, speed The of rate change. of it, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, what a great storyteller. Yeah, he wasn't just yeah. a great mind. He had a, the ability to take all this information and tell it to you in such a way that you're like, wow, that's, I'm really absolutely. going to keep listening to you. Yeah. Absolutely. I wish I was taught like that at school. <gasps> Imagine, exactly. imagine if Singularity University was Singularity High School. I think it should be. It's Pre, coming. Pre-primary. It, it's coming. Look, let, let, let's not bullshit anymore. Yeah, it's coming. We think about how we distribute um, ed, uh, education content, right? Absolutely. Or well, what education actually is. But yeah. um, you know, talking about education, we yes. had a phenomenal chat. We did actually, and. We had uh, Mr. Sizwen Kasana, yes, who uh, came through, and I apologize again if I don't get your name right, but uh, he's such a gentleman. My tongue has been disrupted by the X's in people's names, so but a wonderful gentleman, Absolute, wonderful gentleman, and he he knows the importance of access to information mm. and where it plays a part in education. Absolutely. Now, now, if if you don't know Cesar, he was the former, I think he was the CEO of, of RMB. Yeah, that's he's right. He's a highly qualified man, a highly sophisticated man. And, and his passion and, and what he's focusing on now is, is really African education. And, and he spoke very much around the, the fourth revolution and the fact that we've actually got to own this. And, mm. and he, 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 he was, he was truly inspiring because if there's one thing we have to fix, mm. education is the thing. I love his title. He says that he is now a social entrepreneur. Yes. That's very cool. It's not That's this, uh, cool. finance focused or money focused, which no. is the background and this is commercial interest. And now it's very social focused. I have to admit, uh, the, the interview looks a little bit short, guys. Is this one of these where you kind of were pulled up because of the yeah. time pressures? Yeah. You, you, you know what happened? Just so everyone understands, you know, we were given three minutes with each of these, yeah. which, with each of these individuals. And as, as we started, we, we were kind of stick to the timeline. And I think, you know, we were sitting around four or five minutes with each of the guys. Mm. Um, as we progressed, the guys actually loved being in the studio yeah, with us, yeah, yeah. and they wanted to stay. Yeah. In fact, they were pushing to stay more and more. Yeah. Um, so the you know as we progressed, so the, stu- the the actual interviews became longer. And what we've done is we've mixed them up around a bit, so so you get a nice blend of of them. To and to those that we can have access to, and even those that aren't in South Africa, have all agreed yes. to join us on the show again. So we get yes. to yeah, we get access to these guys again. So those of you listening, if you like something you hear, you can check it out on the Singularity website, which is Singularity U. South Africa Summit dot org. If you want to go visit that website, and uh, nothing short about that one, right? Nothing. No, glad, glad it wasn't the hashtag. I, I kind of feel like at Futurology shows a lot shorter. Yeah, and the hashtag was just hashtag Futureproof Africa. So, Over let's to get Cizwe. into it. Our next guest on the Singularity University Summit here in Johannesburg is Sizwe Ntrasana. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure. Now, Thank you. you've just spent uh, some time on the, on the main stage telling everybody about the importance of education and the power of access to information. Uh, tell us more about what you believe in and what we can achieve, not just here in South Africa, but throughout Africa. Yeah, well, education is one area which is really ripe for education, for disruption, you yeah. know, from early childhood development right up to university and so on. Because, you know, the way that uh, the current education system is structured and architectured is still based on the 18th, 19th century, yes. actually, you know, still teach children according to their age groups. Uh, we still have teachers standing in front of the class and their fountain of knowledge. And yet, knowledge is ubiquitous, it's out there, and you can access it using technology and so on, and the role of teachers should be very, very different. Mm. And the kind of knowledge or skills that we should be imparting on our children 
uh, should be very different from how you and I may have been taught. Uh, so it is one area where uh, we are at the cusp in the African continent, particularly to be part of the fourth industrial revolution. Yes. If we do a couple of things right, if we think about how education should be reformed, if we, um, you know, for instance, make sure that there's access to data, which is should be a basic human uh, right, especially in the education sense, uh, where we should be looking at um, some of the key things that we should be teaching our children. Like, for instance, you know, from preschool, we should be teaching coding, we should be teaching robotics, uh, we should be directing our children, uh, you know, how to solve problems, how to think critically, and so on. At the same time, you know, sort of building value systems and some of those skills that are going to be very important in the context of the fourth industrial revolution. For sure. I, I absolutely loved your point around the fourth uh, in, industrial revolution that Africans must not be subject to be a subject of the fourth in, industrial revolution. How do we make practical steps to, to, to solve this education challenge? Because you, you're working very aggressively in the space from what I understand. Well, there are a couple of things that are important. Um, uh, for starters, you know, just this data issue is quite an important issue. Yes. Making sure that every space, uh, an area of learning or teaching has access to Wi-Fi and access, mm. access to data, access to the Internet. And, and because, you know, there's a lot of learning that can take place uh, even if a teacher is not around. Yes. yes. And secondly, we need to think very differently about how we're ta- uh, training our teachers. If we're going to produce quality Africans that can think, that can solve problems, that can become entrepreneurs or leaders. Uh, we have to think about who gets to be a teacher. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, selecting quality mm. people into the teaching profession, training them as teachers in the new age of learning and teaching mm. should be absolutely critical and important for, uh, for us to do. Yes. Uh, and then, you know, what happens in a classroom uh, should also be Yes, about connecting education with the real world, because, you know, very often Mm. education institutions from schools to universities are still islands that are separate from the Mm -hmm. real world. Yes, absolutely. And and therefore, we should be, from a very young age, uh, teaching young children how to solve real problems so that they understand why they're doing mathematics or geography or history or English or Zulu. Uh, and, and, and that should continue to happen at universities. That, yes. you know, we shouldn't just be, yes, of course, universities are areas of production of knowledge. They're not just there to produce vocational skills. Uh, but there are particular skills which you should be taking, uh, teaching our students, you know, how to analyze information, how to reflect, uh, how to solve problems. So those skills should be universal. Yeah, uh, and yes. at the moment, they're not taught because they are seen as soft skills. But actually, that the really most important mm. core skills that we should be uh, develop, especially because there are a lot of skills that are going to be replaced by robots Absolutely. in the future. So we should be teaching uh, people to think, to reflect, to solve problems, to program, to drive robots, yes. as opposed to just knowing how to swipe an iPad. I absolutely love this conversation. Um, so thank you for your time. I'm inspired by the work that you're doing because I think it is absolutely critical to the success of, of not just South Africa but Africa itself. Um, so, we thank you very much for your time. And, and uh, we look forward to having you on the Futurology show in the future. No, it's a pleasure. And uh, talk more about the future of education here not in South Africa and in Africa. Absolutely. Thank right. you. Thank, thank you so you. much. Cheers. Okay, guys. I'm jumping in here. But I'm sorry. Education is going to be disrupted. If we don't get this right… Yeah. Absolutely. We're going to fail. We, we, we're going to fall miles behind. I'm sorry, but this is so important. No, I agree with you. I mean, I Absolutely. get goosebumps when people talk about disrupting education because we talk about, Dave Roberts, the, the speed, the rate of change. Yeah. And 
information transfer of information and education is one of the fastest growing things that we have access to. All the technology that we have are mind amplifying tools. And yet somehow we think that we've got to stay in classroom formation and stay in our grade systems and For do sure. standardized testing. Take I five years so to get content authorized and distributed. Come on. Come on. Uh, absolutely. Well, talking about uh, speeding things up, I mean, one of the things that Dave Roberts did say that, uh, you know, in the past we've had one real exponential technology. Um, but now we're sitting with about four or five, and, and nanotechnology and, and robotics is, is one of them. In fact, you could almost split those into two. But I mean, but that's a scary space, right? Everyone starts to worry when we talk robotics. Yeah. How far will it go? Is it going to be part of us? It's going to be separate to us? Exactly. And another one that I missed, and I'm so jealous but of But the you guys. size of robotics versus big versus nano. Oh, yeah. Very, very different applications. And hard robots and soft robots and… But, but people we, friendly and not people friendly. Absolutely. And we I spoke mean, to Sarah about this. Yes. Sarah so, Bergbreiter. Yeah, We're getting so excited we can't even get we, to Sarah. I, I feel like you two are hard robots. Sarah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sarah Bergbreiter. Uh, she had a, her talk was the robots are coming, cross out the coming, the robots are here. Yeah. Yeah, and baby. it was so true. And she was talking, the one thing that I found fascinating, you'll hear it in the interview, is the convergence of all of these great technologies. The, this yes. diaspora is great, but they're actually really useful if you put them all together beautiful let's listen to sarah our next guest on the singularity youth summit here in johannesburg is none other than sarah bergbreiter and sarah thank you for joining us today thank you for having me excellent you just did an amazing uh, presentation on the stage uh, all about robotics and uh, there were some fascinating things that you spoke about i'm dying to dig into it all uh, but before we do that could you tell us a little bit about you sure. who you are what you do sure i'm Officially, as a job, I am an associate professor of mechanical engineering at the University of Maryland in College Park, and I work at the intersection of robotics and microsystems, and so that means that we make a lot of little tiny robots um, that have a lot of applications for healthcare and actually biology, as well as using microfabrication processes to make better sensors and actuators for larger robots. I'm also a mother, a lot of other things. Okay, so you're a mom. Yes. And robots. Mm -hmm. That's about all I was able to get out of that. <laughs> it sounds like a really bunch of cool stuff that you, yes. you guys are doing. Mm -hmm. And in your in your presentation, you spoke about convergence, and we talk about swarm and all that. But we don't. We've got very limited time with you today. And one of the cool things I thought about convergence was that everybody knows about AI. We know about VR. We know about automation. We know about all of these things separately. And separately, they are amazing. They are really cool. Like everybody sits back and goes, "Like that is so cool." But now. You're talking about the convergence of all of these great techs into one space, into one use. So, I mean, that's got to be exponential tech if ever I've seen it. Yeah, you get this multiplier by adding all of these technologies together. And really, I think one of the interesting things in both research and industry these days is not the vertical innovation, like making a better robot, a faster robot, but it's really taking robotics and marrying it with virtual reality and some of the innovations that can ha happen in that space. So these horizontal uh, innovations, I think, are really exciting right now. Excellent. Um, one of the cool things that you've seen, what are the, in terms of that, that convergence, what are the cooler things that maybe you're working on or some, something you've seen? Yeah, so, I mean, as I mentioned, a lot of our work is at the convergence of two uh, fairly disparate fields. So this area of microsystems, where a lot of people work on things like lab on a chip or um, the accelerometers that are in the airbags of your cars uh, and robotics and trying to figure out how we can take some of the innovations that have happened in this microsystem space, uh, some new materials. We work a lot with materials as well. 
and make better, smaller, faster, uh, less expensive robots from those different exponential technologies. Yeah, certainly listening to your presentation, some of those initial robots were very, very expensive and they, they decreased quite rapidly as, as we've evolved through the, the exponential growth of, of, of robots and, and what they're, they're becoming. You, you mentioned a couple of drivers to, to what's driving robotics. Do, do you want to just take us through those? Sure. I think there's obviously computing. Um, Everybody's heard of Moore's Law. Um, But you also have things like sensing, new sensors coming online, things like inertial sensors, vision sensors that allow robots to perceive their environments much better. You also have underrepresented things that are contributing to this, like the open source movement. Um, There's a whole code base out there called the robotic operating system that allows people to not invent their own algorithms each time, take other people's algorithms and make robots do cool things. Materials and manufacturing, 3D printing, leading to lighter weight, uh, easier to manufacture, easier to design robots. Um, There's a lot of cool stuff there. And then obviously markets, so... Robots are not limited to manufacturing and defense anymore. You have yeah. robots in the home. You have uh, robots in the sky. You have all sorts of fun robots uh, happening yeah. around. It's it's a fun world, and certainly Brett's a fanboy, as I said earlier. Yep. You know, it's 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 a world he comes from that just excites him exponentially. <laughs> what what what, are, what exponential is, excitement? Exactly, yes. exactly. I, I I wasn't being flippant there. I was no, quite good. deliberate. Nice. Um, what are some of the really things that things that are really exciting you about where robotics is going? For me, I like, um, obviously, I like small-scale things. I don't know if it's very sh- because I'm very short or just, <laughs> just because I like small things. But I think for me, some of the really interesting things are in new materials being used for robots. So instead yeah. of having to create algorithms and add all of these extra sensors, you can solve a lot of your problems just through the use of an appropriate material. Being able to tailor a material for your robot is another very cool thing that's happening. So there's a lot of interesting design challenges where materials are now creating this whole new design space that is incredibly fascinating. Um, That's important for me in designing small-scale robots because I don't want to add a lot of sensors if I don't have to. For sure. And and, and why the fascination with small small robots? Is is this nanotechnology or small robots? This this is ant-scale robots. So so I wouldn't go so far as nanotech, but certainly microtech. Um, And so a lot of it is, I think, because ants are very cool. And (laughs) I think the first time I saw a motor under a microscope, I thought it was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen. So A motor? A motor, a little electric static uh, silicon motor and okay. the fact that something was moving at this size scale I thought was fascinating and I wanted to make robots from it. And, w- and what are the kind of applications that would come out of that small scale ro- robot? So the the killer app that just poorly named in this case is probably healthcare. So yeah. the idea of you know if I can package sensors and actuators and mechanisms in a really small package Imagine what I can do at the end of a catheter, and now I can yeah. do much more minimally invasive surgical procedures, uh, having to cut people open, and I think everybody is happy. Uh, no, I, I, I certainly am. I, I, I've been cut open once before, and it's not a pleasant Not experience. at all, no. no. it really isn't. You were asleep, though, I'm sure. Were you? Yeah, but I woke up. Uh, I wasn't oh, wow. asleep. Which <laughs> <laughs> It is unpleasant, yeah. Yes. So uh, there, there is a space in, in small robots, but you also showed in, in your presentation a slide of the Tesla factory. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And those are not small robots. They're not small and, and they're, they're not, not particularly hum- safe. And they're yeah. not human friendly, yeah. They're not so that's another very exciting area that materials in particular comes into, the idea of creating 
these soft robots that can interact physically with people. Um, and we do a lot of work taking microsystems along with these materials and making sensors uh, that can enable these soft robots to become much more repeatable and interact with people much better. What, what do you mean by soft robots? So soft robots, imagine a balloon, a funny-shaped balloon yeah. that you could inflate and would bend in a particular direction. Okay. And based on different chambers that you inflate, you can get it to move differently. Okay. So think of an octopus arm or an elephant yeah. trunk. Um, that's the kind of thing that we're talking about with soft robots. That's completely challenging the conventional thought around robots. Yeah, so robots are traditionally very rigid systems. They're very easy to model, but once you add these soft, very nonlinear materials to it, it is crazy. With Um, with effective application? With incredibly effective application, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I can create a soft robot that can interact with a person, if I think of it as an exoskeleton, I can create the strength that I want. It's not limiting me in that in that regard, um, it's just the fact that I can now safely interact with somebody yep. without having all yeah. this metal, rigid things that look scary, honestly, yeah. around me. And they're probably uh, cost-effective? Oh, incredibly cheap, yeah. So so you're talking about materials that are very low cost. You're talking about fabric and air, or rubber and yeah. air. And yeah. so if you can make them repeatable like normal industrial robots are you open up an entirely new application space for low-cost robots. Right. And I'm assuming that as well, on top of that, they're fabric and air. It's cheap. It's going to be portable. So now you can get robots to places that robots were never going to get to. Exactly. You just go there and you inflate it there. Amazing. That's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Just uh, uh, you, you mentioned briefly the, the, the world of ethics and robots. You, you didn't go into details because there's more discussions to come up in, in, in the conference. Your, your thoughts around ethics and robots? Is, is it a big issue? Is it not a big issue? And, and if so, where so? It is a big issue. I think there's different uh, schools of thought on how to incorporate ethics into robots. Some people think it just needs to be rules, kind of Isaac Asimov-like. And others feel that the robot needs to learn ethics as it goes, a lot like we do. Um, And in fact, ultimately, it's going to be some hybrid of the two. The question is just how to where you want to learn and where you want to have rigid rules. Because if I'd learned something, I can't go back and check and make sure they've learned the correct exactly. thing. No, absolutely. Um, and if there are rules, you know, based on certain situations, the robot can be very confused and not yeah. act appropriately. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. So certainly in autonomous vehicles is where that discussion is happening Sensing the most what not right to now. crash into. Exactly. Do I want to crash into the basket full of puppies or the kitten? I, actually, it's uh, a good point, though, because we don't think of, of cars as, as robots. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but they are becoming much more. Yeah, 100%. Sorry, Brett. No, no, it's cool. It's yeah. definitely the kitten, though. Yeah, it's a kitten. Um, there's a robot that we have now given a name, and his name is Baxter. Mm-hmm. And it's this programmable robot that is human-friendly-ish. Yes. Uh, tell us about Baxter. So Baxter is a robot from Rethink Robotics from Rodney Brooks, and the idea is that it is somewhat soft, so it uses springs to make it more compliant and interact better with people. And one of the cool things about Baxter is because it can interact with people, I can actually program it by physically moving its arms around uh, to where I want it to go. And so it in, you know, totally new paradigm as to how I program a robot That's if all, I can touch it. That is awesome. And, I mean, so he's going to be working alongside humans and he's got a face yeah so the face in part is to convey try to convey emotion to the human that the robot might be working next to 
as to whether the robot is confused, if you're doing something odd that the robot's not sure about, or if it's happy yeah. that you're all being productive. Um, so, so the idea of being able to work with the human is both the physical side that we've talked about, but also the social side. So yeah. that's, that's kind of like overcoming some of the challenges, and we can maybe not program a robot to get on so well with us, but we can program or trick humans into getting on with robots. Yeah, trick is a tr- tricky word, right? Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, it's an ethical question. Well, <laughs> trick. I mean, we just make it feel like you're it more comfortable. It is often easier for the, ro- the human to adapt to the robot than the robot to adapt to the human. That is excellent. I mean, it's, it's a fa- just to wrap up, it's a fascinating time, and you mentioned that in your presentation. It is a fascinating time to be alive and to be playing with robots. It's and a great day job. <laughs> what is your brief summary of the future in terms of robotics and leapfrogging and that, all that kind of stuff? So I think one of the really interesting things is how robots can interact with people and both the ability to extend human ability but also to augment human ability. And I think that this human-robot interaction is where a lot of the exciting stuff is going to happen in the future. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. We look forward to hearing more from you in the future. Thank you. And uh, enjoy the rest of your stay in South Africa. I absolutely will. Thanks. Fantastic. Thank you. Thanks, Sarah. Cheers. Cheers. And there we go. That was Sarah. Amazing. Amazing. Two incredible words. Fantastic. I kind of feel like next time I'm going for birthdays. You guys get to yeah. interview some of the coolest people. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm, I'm there. I was birthdays. the only one that did birthdays. Yeah, you, I'm jealous, Lucky man. bastard. Hey? Yeah. It feels like you're do you know what you do? At you least literally just go, you go through your calendar and you just yeah. say, sorry, singularity you is happening. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's but, it's that important that you have to do that. You have you to make have the time. To do it. Absolutely. So and, next year we know and, and talking about time, guys, next week we're following on with some more singularity in, interviews and conversations. So we'll be back same time, same place next week. Yeah, but don't forget to give us five stars, download us, like us, reshare, do the works at Futurology Show, please, guys. Absolutely. Awesome. Till next week. Till next week. Till next week. Cheerio. This is CliffCentral.com.